we're asking God to use the month of February as a real uh, time of really growing us individually and as a church family, focusing on the book of 1 John. And I hope uh, uh, you're benefiting from it, or you'll start benefiting from it today and join with us in that. By the way, if you have a Bible or a device with you this morning, you can take it and go ahead and be turning to the book of 1 John. That's where we're going to be all this month uh, as we're focusing on that. And we think that there's three things in particular uh, that will help this be an increased month of growth for you. I hope you're joining us with that. One is that you're doing the, the daily devotional out of this confident devotional. How many of you have this and are using this? Good, quite a few of us. If you haven't, it's not too late to start. Pick one up out there in the lobby. Pastor Brett has done a great job of uh, breaking this down in daily bite-sized sections to just help us read along. And let me tell you how this works. If you're just starting today, it's okay. Go to today's date. You can go back and catch up what you missed later. Don't feel like you got to do it from the beginning. Just go to today's date and start. If you miss days, that's fine. Just keep current and you can go back and catch up days if you want, but just stay with it. And uh, we're letting God speak to us daily from his word. And then weekly, by being a part of a small group where you're in community and uh, having the opportunity to, again, really focus on the things that we're talking about, the things that we're reading in the scriptures on our own, the things that we're hearing in our weekend messages, that that's happening there in community. And if you're not a part of a small group, again, you can join a small group even for the four weeks that are remaining of this. We even have a handful of groups that have just started up just four this campaign, and so if you need help with that, when we're done, I'll be back at the Next Step Center. Be glad to help direct you towards one of those groups or any of those groups that might be a good fit for you uh, during the, the uh, rest of this campaign. And then uh, on the weekends, being here with us to hear God's Word taught. And so that's what we're doing today. We're going to be focusing on 1 John chapter 2. But again, I want to stress it's not too late to get on board with us. Make this a special time where you really see God boost what's going on in your life spiritually. Now, let me give you just a few introductory thoughts about 1 John. John, if uh, you didn't know it, was the last living of the 12 disciples. In fact, he was the only disciple who did not die of martyrdom. And so John uh, is writing, and he writes, he's the author of five New Testament books. There's the gospel that bears his name, the gospel of John, which was written later than all the other three. Uh, there's his gospel. There's the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. And then these three smaller books towards the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These five books he wrote. And John, as I mentioned, did his writing later. And so he is writing to 2nd and 3rd generation believers. These aren't these aren't people who are Christians because they lived next along to Jesus or saw the resurrection necessarily. This is even coming later, a uh, generation later, 30 or so plus years later, he's writing to those people, okay? So we, like them, we weren't around when Jesus walked this earth either, so it's very applicable to us as well. So hopefully you got it right there. You can look it up on your New Life app if you care to do that as well too. There's a place where you can Take notes and see the scriptures there also, but hopefully you got something. They'll be on the screens as well. Let's jump into 1 John chapter 2. Pull out your message notes if you haven't done that. 
There's a place on the back where you can uh, write in some things if you care to do so as well. So 1 John chapter 2 starts off this way. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So right off the top, John expresses that the desire of living as a Christ follower is that we would live obediently. Not sinning, obeying God, instead being obedient to God and his word. And he's not talking here about perfection, but he's talking about obedience. He's not saying, hey, look at me, I got it all together, I don't sin anymore. That's not what he's saying. In fact, if you continue reading verse 1, he makes it clear that we're going to mess up. We are going to sin. He says, but, as we go on in verse 1, he says, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. God's ways are always best. But we're rebellious, aren't we? We're fallen creatures. And so we constantly think happiness comes not from obeying God, but from disobeying him. And so instead of of doing what God wants, we tend to let the things around us um, pull us away, but John calls us instead to obedience, to walking righteously. But he says, be clear in this that we don't do those things as the means of our salvation. It's not our good works. It's not our efforts that makes us right with a holy God. That's not the means of our salvation, it's the result of our salvation, because we need to understand that our salvation is not in us, but in the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. That's what he says next. He says about Jesus that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the entire, for the whole world. Jesus is the righteous one, not us, right? Jesus is the advocate between us, sinful us, holy God. Jesus is that bridge in between. He stands there. He atoned for our sins on the cross. And as a result, we can stand boldly before God on the basis of his righteousness that's made available to us through his shed blood on the cross on our behalf. And so, as people who have taken advantage of that offer, have taken advantage of his um, offering to us to be children of God through his shed blood, as a result of that, those of us who have taken that step, those of of us who have received that, he calls us then to confidently walk out obedience to walk out righteousness and what the rest of this chapter does is he gives us five things that will help us do that and so if you've got your note sheet there let's wade into them here's the first one is we need to know that our salvation depends on Jesus verse 3 he says we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth isn't in that person. 
But if anyone obeys his word, the love for God is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know that we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You see, the evidence that you are a follower of Jesus, the righteous one, the one who offered himself in our place on the cross, is that we give effort to walking out the things that Jesus commanded. Again, not perfection. In the devotional, Brett makes the point, I think it's really good, it's not destination he's talking about, it's, it's direction. That the, the direction of our life is towards obedience. To living out the commands of Jesus. In fact, verse 6, did you see it? He says it so plainly. He says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. He doesn't say ought to live as Jesus did. Or it'd be a good idea if he did. No, that, that's the evidence. You see, talk is cheap, right? True is as true does. And so the person who claims to be a follower of Jesus but doesn't live like it has every reason in the world to doubt the genuineness of their salvation. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says this. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves do you not realize that christ jesus is in you unless of course you fail the test now am i saying that our salvation rests in our efforts no a thousand times no go back and reread verse one and two it's not on us but our salvation is not something we should take for granted or something that we should base on an event or a time at camp or that prayer that we prayed when the pastor said to pray along with him. No, John's saying the way that I know that I'm saved is I examine my life. Am I striving to walk in obedience to God and his word? Not with my lips, but with my life. Because, you see, here's point number two. You show your salvation by your actions. Verse 7. John says, dear friends, I'm writing to you I'm not writing you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message that you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And so anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister, well, they're still in darkness. 
And anyone who loves their brother and sister, they're living in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. What John does here is he names a specific command of Jesus to love your brother. It's not a new command. It's, it's a command that's been around since the beginning, right? And so he says, you need to love. Don't hate, but you need to love others. So true followers of Christ will show the genuineness of their faith by obeying in this, and I would say by inference, every other command, right? So the person who obeys shows their salvation to be true by their lives, by their actions, and the person who disobeys shows their lives shows their salvation to be in question. Because you see, here's the deal with sin. He says so right in verse 11. Sin blinds us. And so let me take just a minute here to talk about love versus hate. And I want to talk to some of you specifically. I don't know who. But I just want to challenge you. If you're holding on to some bitterness, some anger, some hatred towards anyone. I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to let it go. To let it go, to obey God in this area. Because you see, your anger, your bitterness is only going to blind you. It's going to keep you from seeing clearly. It's only going to hurt you. So let it go, especially, listen to me, if you're a follower of Christ, because if you're a follower of Christ, you have the power within you in the living Holy Spirit to do that. Because you see, being obedient to Jesus in this way, in every other way, is how you show that you really are a follower of Jesus. I realize it's easier to say than to do, but every journey starts with a first step, right? And so take those steps. Say, I don't know if I can get all the way there. You don't have to get all the way there. Just start walking that way. Ask God to give you the power to complete it. Amen. Obey God. That's how we show the genuineness that we truly do know Jesus. That we can have confidence in our faith and our salvation. Well, John goes on, he says, number three, not only that, but you've got to grow up. You've got to grow in your relationship with Jesus. Now, what John does in verses 12 to 14, we're not going to take the time to read it because he kind of folds back in on himself, but basically what he does there is he lists three stations in life. Being children, and then we grow to being young men, young women, and then we grow to being fathers, or older men, older, more mature men and women. And he lists characteristics about each. This is characteristics of, of our spiritual journey. We start as children. And children don't know much. They just know that their sins have been forgiven and that they know God. 
That's where it starts. But we're to grow. Some of us think we're mature Christians because we've been Christians a long time, but the truth of the matter is we've just been spiritual children for a long time, over and over and over again. And all we really know in our walk with God is that we've been forgiven and that we know God. But it should go on from there. We should grow on from there to becoming young men, young women who are strong, who have God's word alive in us so that we're overcoming the evil one. Temptation will continually be put in front of us, and we've got to know God's word. We've got to grow in our, in our intake, in our knowledge of God's word, in our obedience to God's word, so that as we go along in life, we're overcoming those temptations. We're growing to become young men, young women, and it doesn't stop there. We continue to grow older, to become fathers and mothers, mature believers who truly know God who's from eternity past. You see, the point of the Christian life is that of growing and maturing, of, of moving from station to station, beginning as children, becoming more and more uh, 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 grown up and continuing to grow up, continuing to mature all along until we know God at a deep level. We've got to grow. He goes on, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, they don't come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You see, what John does here is he juxtaposes loving and obeying God against loving and obeying the world. He holds them up next to each other. He keeps coming back to this aspect of sin and, and, and this battle to walk out obediently to Jesus. Because you see... If we make sin our regular practice, we will fall increasingly in love with the world, won't we? But if we make obedience our regular practice, we will fall increasingly in love with Jesus. That's the desire. D.L. Moody said this, he said, Christians should live in the world, but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water, but if the water gets into the ship, she goes to the bottom. And so Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. You see, that's why we need to grow in our relationship with Jesus. That's why we need to be filled with God's word rather than filled with disobedience and sin. We need to let God's word, we need to not only be in God's word, but more importantly, we need to get God's word into us. And so again, I can't stress enough the value of on our own, forming the habit, forming the practice of daily, regularly spending time in God's word on our own. And nothing is a better opportunity. For some of you, that's already your practice. But for some of you, that's all new. 
But wherever you are on the journey, take advantage of the campaign journal. Pick one up out there and get started in that aspect of, again, getting God's word in you. Because, you see, we have to grow to keep sin from whipping our rear end, don't we? Because, you see, whether we realize it or not, here's point number four John gives us, is we have a foe. Verse 18. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, and this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. And I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no sin, no lie comes from the truth. Who's the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. John is in the context you heard last week of this group, talking about this group of people who had denied the legitimacy of Jesus as being truly God in every way, human and divine. And so he's talking about that group who were a part of us, but they've gone out from us. That's the context that he's talking about. But he's talking to us too, understanding this aspect of of. of those who will be anti-Christ. Now, many of us, we hear that in our mind, immediately races towards the end of the world and marks of the beast and all of those kinds of things. Don't, don't do that with this passage. John is simply saying that there are going to be many out there who are anti-Christ. There are going to be many out there who are contrary to Christ. There's going to be many amongst us who are against Christ, who are opposed to Christ. Wouldn't you agree with me that in our time, just like in John's time here in the first century, there's a whole lot of people out there who are against following Christ, right? So we need to expect resistance. Some of us, it's like throws us off our game. We're trying to walk for Jesus and people resist us. So we go, I don't understand, God. Why is it so hard? <laughs> We're told there's going to be a lot of people who are like that, who are anti Christ, who are going to put up a resistance. If you're going to seek to live like John is describing here, you need to expect others who will attempt to derail your efforts. Expect it. As you strive to live a biblically obedient, Christ-honoring life, expect there will be those who will attempt to lead you astray. In fact, some of us need to write verse 26 on a card and put it on our bathroom mirror. We need to remind ourselves of this every day where John says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Let me tell you, that's why you need to be in a small group. You need to be a part of a community who will keep trying to lead you astray. See, because there's going to be a bunch of people who are trying to lead you astray. 
You need to counterbalance that with people in your life who are keeping you stray, right? So again, take advantage of it. These four weeks remaining, get in a group. We need that. It's a spiritual battle out there, isn't it? And we have a foe, and so we need to expect resistance and proactively prepare to overcome the difficulty of of striving to live obediently to Jesus. And then just one more thing here. Number five, John tells us, is that we need to stay in a row with Jesus. Have you got the whole rhyme thing there? Have you gotten that? It's all me. Thank you. That's right. All me. Nobody else to blame for that. I came up with that. But I think that's his point here. We need to stay in a row with Jesus. Listen to what he says, verse 27. And as for you, the anointing that you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Remain in a row, in a line under Jesus' leadership. Verse 28, and now, dear children, continue in him. Continue in a row, in a line under Jesus' leadership over us, so that uh, when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. We need to remain in alignment with Jesus. That's what he tells us in verse 27. We need to continue in him. Verse 28, look back at verse 24. He says, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. And if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. Jesus, or John is saying, That we need to stay in a straight line under Jesus' leadership over us. We need to stay in alignment with Jesus. You know, when the front end of your car gets out of alignment, what happens? Nothing good, right? It starts pulling you in wrong directions. You'll start wearing out tires. Guess what? Your front end of your car needs to stay in alignment. Guess what? Your life needs to stay in alignment or you're going to be pulled in all sorts of wrong directions and you're going to wear out. Stay in alignment with Jesus. In fact, you know, the whole principle of chiropractic health is about alignment. Isn't that true? A chiropractor will tell you, happy spine, everything will go fine. In fact, I, I uh, looked up a bunch of clever chiropractic sayings. Did you know there, it's like a whole underworld culture out there, you know, with websites? And So let me share a few of these with you. In alignment each day keeps sickness away. Or here's one. You are one adjustment away from a good mood. Here's a favorite of mine. Zombies... Just need a good chiropractor. You know, they're all better. 
Maybe that would be a great advertising scheme. You know, you got a bunch of zombies walking into the chiropractic's office and then they walk out in a straight, I don't know. It's a gold mine. It's an advertising gold mine out there, untapped, right there. Uh, here's one, an adjustment, an adjusted spine, an unadjusted, I'll get it right here. An unadjusted spine is like having poor cell reception between your brain and your body. Here's a good one. The pain in your neck isn't your husband. <laughs> one more. I'm sorry for the things I said before I was adjusted. So, so this part of the sermon is brought to you by Pamer Chiropractic, 165 North Hamilton Road. Stop in this week, see Dr. Mike, and tell him Jay sent you. So. Now, I'm just having a little bit of fun here, but you, you get the point, right? We need to stay in alignment with Jesus. We need to stay in a row under his leadership, under his lordship over our lives. Again, I think the three practices of this campaign will help you do that. I hope you'll take advantage of those things to stay in alignment with Jesus being Lord over your life, obedient living. And listen to me, friends. The key to the Christian life is not simply sin management. It's, it's facing each day with the desire to walk obediently to God and his word. Realizing that I'm going to face dozens of opportunities to sin today. I'm going to face temptation left and right. Temptation is not sin. It's the opportunity to sin. I'm going to face temptations. And so I need to do so with a commitment to say no to sin and yes to God. And as I do, I will grow in my relationship. I'll, I'll become stronger in my relationship. I'll walk closer and closer with Jesus. And when I mess up, I confess. I admit, I call it what God does, sin. And I get back at it, fixing my eyes on Jesus, striving to walk obediently to him. Let me kind of move towards closing with this quote here by, I read this uh, recently by Christopher Christian Stern, who, or, I'm sorry, Sturm, who was a German pastor in the 1700s. He wrote this in a book called Morning communings with God but I think it's a prayer that would benefit many of us as we seek to live out obedient living and so let me just give it to you maybe it's a prayer you'll want to be using each day or regularly to come back to he said this he prayed this we can pray this this new day is a new incitement to me to select the path of holiness I'm determined to follow it but, O oh God, do thou thyself show me the track in which I ought to go. And rule my steps that I may abide in the same. Teach me to act according to thy pleasure. And let thy good spirit carry me along in the straight way. And so I think John is challenging us, friends, in this chapter to live obediently to the ways of Jesus. 
to begin our day, these remaining days of February and beyond, with asking God to help us live in obedience, walking out holiness and righteousness. Again, not perfection, but walking in obedience to him. Again, verse 1 of this chapter. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. And when I do mess up, when I give in to that temptation, when I lose my patience, when I act out in anger, when I look inappropriately at someone or something, when I lose it with a co-worker when I kick the dog or whatever it is I keep reading he says but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous one the one who is righteous so that I don't have to be the one whose righteousness I clothe myself in I confess, I get back on. I continue to strive to walk out in obedience. I'm going to pray for us, but before I do, let me just say a couple more things. The first is to some of you who maybe you're hearing this, and here's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. You know that it's not a matter of continuing to walk out in obedience, but you know there's areas of disobedience in your life right now. And here's why... I think the Holy Spirit is challenging you to do is to confess that is to repent from that to walk away from that and so there's some of you I'm sure that what the Holy Spirit is nudging you to do right now is to let go of that maybe it's an attitude you have maybe it's some action that you're practicing maybe it's some habit Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you need to cut off right now, today, not think about it. You need to determine right now, with God's help, to walk away from that. And so I'm going to encourage you, the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you about that, to have the courage, when we have our prayer partners up here in just a minute, for some of you to have the courage to go to them and say, listen, I just need to confess this to someone. And I'd like you to pray for me that I would have the courage and the strength to repent of that and to walk away from it, to stop doing that. Would you do that? And they'll pray for they'll love to pray for you. Take advantage of that. Second group I want to speak to you is, is those of you who aren't yet Christians. See, John is talking to Christians here in this chapter. I've been talking to Christians, but you know, he's talking to you about walking out a relationship with Jesus, but you can't walk out a relationship with Jesus till you have a relationship with Jesus. And so if that's you, or you're not sure that you do have a relationship with Jesus, let me just tell you, it's as simple as ABC. It's not simple to live out, but it's simple to buy in. Jesus paid the price. A, you need to admit that you're a sinner, that that you don't have the ability to make yourself right with God on your own. You need to admit that. B, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price in your place for your sin. Jesus died in your place. It's his righteousness, not yours. And then see, you need to confess your sin and receive Jesus. Accept his payment. 
if you've never done that or you're not sure that you've done it, that's where it starts. And so again, you can go to any one of these prayer team people. You can go to somebody maybe in your life here that you came with or someone that you know and say, hey, I want to know for sure that I have a relationship with Jesus. But John's challenging us to walk it out. And so let me pray for us as we attempt to do that this week. Lord Jesus, thank you for the price you paid for us that we could not pay on our own. And Lord, I pray that for those of us who aren't sure that they've taken that step, that you'll give them the courage to make sure that they are in a right relationship with you because they've received the price you paid for them on the cross. And at the same time, Lord, I want to pray for the many of us who are sure of that. We're confident. We've done that step. But Lord, there's something in our lives we need to repent of. We need to confess. We need to call it what you call it, and we need to walk away from it. Lord, there's others of us who, what we've done is we've kind of nursed something. We've, we've taken sin as a pet. Lord, give us the courage to call it what you call it and to walk away from it, to take the first step of obedience today. Lord, for others of us, Lord, just remind us of the battle that we're in. We do have a foe who loves to see us ineffective and frustrated and failing believing the lies of the evil one and all of these other things God and so help us to do the things to walk out in obedience to be in your word to be in community to to be faithfully setting under your teaching Lord. to start each day with the determination that with your help Lord Jesus we're depending upon you to help us walk out obedience, holiness, righteousness today. Not in our strength, but totally in yours. And so God, we give ourselves to you and we pray that as we sing these songs, Lord, as we take advantage of doing business with you, that whatever needs to happen, Lord, that you will just be pleased by the offering not only of our words, but the offering of our lives. We pray it in your name and for your glory. Amen.